This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. So I'm very energized for this episode. Did I? <laughs> no, you could. Oh, <laughs> you don't think I sound energized? Oh, mate, come on. This episode's <laughs> on energy. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right, Ren. This is by listener request and by sign of the times, we are going to be doing a deep dive into the renewable energy industry. We're going to be touching on Australia's energy industry, where do renewables fit in, and then what are some of the companies that are interesting in the renewable space. So this is right up Ren's wheelhouse. (laughs) So I know he's very energetic to (laughs) to get stuck in. So without further ado, Ren, let's do it. Let's do it. So energy. So yeah, we'll start with like a broad context for where Australia's energy industry is. So the first and most obvious starting point is that traditionally our energy industry has been dominated by fossil fuels. That's not a surprise to anyone, both in terms of producers, so your your miners that are producing the stuff we need to make energy, and then the generators, you know, your coal-fired power stations, more recently your gas generators. To give you an idea of Australia's energy generation mix as of 2018, which is the last full year we have numbers for, coal was 60%. Natural gas was 19% and oil was 2%. So fossil fuels are over 80% of what we use to generate electricity. And then renewables are 19%. So hydro is 7%, wind is 6%, solar is 5%. But that renewable number is growing. So 19% for 2018 is up from 15% in 2017. At the same time, coal generation is shrinking at the turn of the century in 2000 coal was more than 80 percent of our electricity generation in australia and now it's at 60 percent so it is reducing and renewables are increasing and i guess that's why we're having this discussion today because we we can all sort of see the writing on the wall we all know where this is going and the question really is is there an investable opportunity in this structural change that is underway So just to give you an idea of just how divergent some of our states are, Tasmania, in terms of renewable usage, is the highest. 95% of its electricity is generated from renewables, but that's mostly hydro. South Australia is next, just above 50%. And South Australia has the highest penetration of wind and solar generation in the country. Then lagging behind are Northern Territory, WA and Queensland, which are all less than 10% in terms of renewable generation. What about New South Wales? So New South Wales and Victoria sit around the 17-18% number. 
Yeah. Which is ballpark the national... Well, yeah, it's about the national average as well. Yeah. So, according to the Clean Energy Council, there's about $25 billion worth of new renewable generation under construction or financially committed. So, we expect to see the renewables number increase. So, that's the nice side of the story, that our energy mix is changing. And yet, at the same time, we still have a massive reliance on fossil fuels. Mm. We're the world's largest liquefied natural gas exporter and the world's largest coal exporter, which is uh, not great for Australia, where Australia is actually the third largest carbon dioxide exporter from fossil fuels. We export 1.1 billion tonnes worth of fossil fuels, what we did in 2018. Here's a question for you. What, what do you think the largest exporter is? Of, of fossil fuels. Of fossil fuels around the world. So if we're third. It's got to be one of the big hitters. Either are the States, India or China or maybe Brazil. States, India, China. States are fourth. India and China don't, don't get a podium finish. Interesting. So number one is Russia with two billion tonnes. And then number two is Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Australia's third on that list in terms of how much we export. We're also the seventh largest in terms of emissions per capita. So, you know, we've got this transition to renewables underway, but we're not great laggards in terms of... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So, the renewable story is really a story of renewables being able to stand on their own two feet. For years, renewables have been subsidised by the government and as technology has improved, as costs have gone down because of scale, because of innovation and all of that, renewables more and more have been able to stand on their own two feet. They haven't needed government subsidies to compete with you know, your traditional coal-fired power stations, all of that. So the CSIRO pulled some numbers in terms of the, co- the capital cost of building new generation. So to give you an idea... Solar comes in at around $1,500 per kilowatt of generation. Wind comes in at about $2,000 per kilowatt of generation. And then coal is anywhere between $3,000 to $9,000 per kilowatt, depending on the type of plant you're building. Gas is a little bit cheaper at the cheap end and a little bit more expensive at the more expensive end compared to renewables. But the, the real story is that coal is just it no longer economically stacks up if you're building new generation. Oh, so if you're building new generation, but for existing, it's cheaper. Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay, that well, makes sense. Well, no, no, no. Uh, it's borderline now. So what's with all the politicians saying we want coal, keep prices low? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good question. And, and the, the absurdity of trying to get the government to underwrite building new coal-fired power stations is Ridiculous. just... Ridiculous. It's uneconomical. Yeah. And coming from a conservative government that's meant to be about free markets doesn't really make sense. Just some serious power lobbyists in the background. Yeah, and jobs. Jobs is the main mm. thing. Like a lot of these Nats members lobbying for it. In coal areas, you know, or, or Joel Fitzgibbon, who's a Labor politician, but he represents a heavy coal mining area. So, you know, there's there's a lot of jobs in this. Um, arguably, there's more jobs in a transition to renewables, but we'll let the politicians have that argument. The fact of the matter for us is that it's uneconomical to build new coal generation when compared to wind and solar. The other two things that we don't even factor into this are then, one, 
there's a raw input cost for mm. coal and gas with that isn't for solar. You know, you actually have to mine the coal and mm. deliver mm. it and, you know, all that. And number two is the regulatory risk. Like, if you were going to build a coal-fired power station, let's say you wanted it to have a 20 or 30-year life, you have no idea how regulations are going to change in the next 20 or 30 years. So the sovereign risk, like the, the risk of governments pulling the rug out from under you is pretty high. So that's the sort of broad picture in terms of where we are and how this transition is sort of underway. And look, let's be honest, we're a long way behind a lot of other countries. The UK just last year had a week where they didn't need any energy from coal. They had about wow. they had about 60% from gas, 20 nuclear, 20 renewables. So they're not all the way there, but you know, the country that sort of sparked the industrial revolution by f- using coal to create energy is now no longer dependent on coal which is a pretty phenomenal story. So the big question is then why are we so far behind? Well, politics is the main one. Like there's been, what, 10 years, ever since Kevin Rudd's carbon pricing scheme got shot down in 2009, the Greens really winning the battle but losing the war then. And there's just been policy uncertainty. No one's wanted to invest. So we've been playing catch up. You know, we've had so many iterations of it. The Turnbull fell because of the... NEG, the National Energy Guarantee, and we we remain uncertain in many ways. So what's stopping us from going full steam ahead with this sort of stuff, Reg? Yeah, it's a a good question. Like, we could do a a whole podcast series on this, not just one episode, but I think there's two there's two important factors that are worth like from an investment lens if if we're just purely thinking about this forget the politics forget climate change if we just want to say we think renewable energy is going to be big we want to make some money from it how do we make money from it well there's two big headwinds that are really facing the renewable sector that you need to consider if you're thinking about investing the first one is the problems with the grid itself and there's big delays in getting new renewable energy projects connected to the national energy market to the actual poles and wires that transport energy from a solar farm or a wind farm or whatever to our houses and our businesses so recently five solar farms large-scale solar farms in western victoria or new south wales have had their output reduced and six have been delayed by nine months or more by the australian energy market operator And the reason for that is because they're concerned about grid stability. They're concerned that there'll be issues with so much generation coming, cause technical issues with the grid. But what it's meaning is that all this capital that's been invested in all these projects, all these businesses that are relying on this renewable generation to give their investors a return on investment are being delayed or their capacity is being reduced, which means their ability to generate returns is being reduced. Hmm. The Clean Energy Council report that six and a half billion dollars worth of projects are threatened by these grid constraints so that's a big investment but probably more concerning bloomberg's new energy finance which do a lot of reporting on renewables and stuff like that they've reported that the policy uncertainty around this grid connection issue has seen investment in large-scale wind and solar drop by 56 percent from last year so the investment in large-scale renewables has halved because of a lot to do with this this concern around connections so that's the first issue that you really have to think about and you really have to consider if you're thinking about investing in renewable energy generation planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The second issue is around negative power prices, which sounds like a great thing. Like, you know, the fact that we've been complaining about the prices of power for so long and businesses have been hurt compared to their international competitors because of the price of electricity. The fact that we could get negative prices sounds great. Unfortunately, our power bills will never get negative prices. To understand it, think about how the energy market is priced. It's like the stock market on steroids. Every five minutes, the wholesale price of energy is set based on supply and demand, and it is volatile like nothing else. If you don't think there's enough volatility in the stock market, trade energy futures. <laughs> and what happens is because when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining during the middle of the day, there's so much generation yeah. that there's not enough demand and there's risks to you know poles and wires and all that stuff. And so the energy market operator is actually paying people to stop generating. Wow. And there's, there's all these reasons that coal-fired power stations don't they're really expensive to turn on and off and they're really slow to turn on and off. So a lot of the time they just cop the negative prices. Renewables, it's easier to turn on and off. Batteries come into their own there because if prices are negative, they can recharge while prices are negative and get paid basically to consume energy. So there's all these interesting dynamics going on in the national energy market. But what it means is that it's a really uncertain time to invest. Like if you were, a, let's say you were like a Canadian pension fund or an Australian super fund and you, well, you were thinking about where to allocate your money, you wouldn't want to be reliant just on the wholesale energy market. You would want to enter into power purchase agreements with specific companies and stuff like that. Like we won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's a seriously volatile time in the energy market. Now, look, there, there are some solutions to the, the negative price that are, prices that are coming. So that, as I said, the storage is a big winner from negative prices, you know, and think about Elon Musk's batteries that he built in South Australia, or think about Snowy Hydro 2.0 that Malcolm Turnbull announced. Essentially, when prices are negative, if we take Snowy Hydro as an example, they will just use that power that they're getting paid to use, essentially, to pump water up, and then when they need to generate, they'll release the water as the water flows downhill, it'll spin turbines. That'll cre create electricity to feed back into the grid. So it's like a natural battery. And in America, there's some pretty cool stuff they're doing around compressed air where similar situation when they when prices are low or prices are negative, they pump all this air into like underground caverns. And then when prices are high and they need electricity, they release this compressed air. It spins turbines, creates electricity. So they're, they're finding all these solutions for like natural storage. A big reason for that is because lithium batteries are really inefficient. Like they can't provide, they don't have the storage to provide what we need in terms of baseload power. 
Elon's battery is super fast. It fills a role, but it's not going to solve South Australia's baseload needs. So batteries are interesting, but they're pretty young. The technology is not really there yet. So you've got to keep that in mind if you're thinking about investing in companies that are going hard into storage. They fill a role, but that role, batteries will never replace generation that we got from coal or gas unless there is exponential technology improvement. So the other thing that people are looking at is interconnectors. And rather than just having state-based energy markets, governments are investing in connecting different states. So recently there have been Queensland, New South Wales interconnector, New South Wales, South Australia interconnector, and there's talks of a second uh, interconnector between Tasmania and Victoria. And essentially what that means is that when power prices are low or negative in one state and high in another state, power can be sent to the other state. It's also what Mike Cannon-Brooks and Twiggy Forest are building between Australia and Singapore, just a giant interconnector to send energy from Australia to Singapore. So a pretty comprehensive context into renewable energy industry here in Australia. The big question though, Ren, is what does it mean for investors and what can we invest in? My understanding is that there's sort of two approaches you can take and that is to invest in companies that have exposure to the renewable energy sector, thinking about things such as, the, you mentioned batteries, so lithium producers and the sort. And then there's also the pure play companies that I guess are directly involved in what you've been talking about in terms of the production side of things. So are there any ASX listed companies that you've sort of come across that are worth looking at? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, you're right. There's There's some companies which a pure play in terms of they're just renewables or they they might have a bunch of other businesses but they're they're just doing renewable energy in terms of energy generation and then there are other companies that are maybe more traditional energy generators so they're exposed to coal and stuff as well but then they also have a portfolio of renewables so if we talk about the pure play companies companies that are just doing renewable generation some of the big ones in australia new energy solar asx ticker new they have 22 solar plants operating or under construction both in the us or australia so they're going hard into solar mercury new zealand asx ticker mcy which is actually 51 percent owned by the new zealand government they are a big renewable generator in new zealand as well but i think they are highly exposed to hydro which is big in new zealand and another one that may be interesting for some people is Infratril, may have pronounced that wrong, ASX ticker IFT, once again a New Zealand company and they own a bunch of different businesses. They own Vodafone New Zealand, they own Wellington Airport, they own a bunch of retirement centres and retirement homes and data centres but they also have a big renewables portfolio that includes 22 hydro power stations and 322 wind turbines. There's a few ones that are highly exposed to renewables. Then there's a couple of companies, you know, like Origin Energy, ASX Ticker, ORG, uh, which is a, you know, exposed to coal, exposed to gas. They, they're going to be exposed to that for a while. But once their 350 megawatt Stockyard Hill wind farm, which is a wind farm that they're building, comes online, renewables and storage will make up about 25% of their owned or, or contracted energy generation. 
So there are some companies that are making the transition from coal and gas to renewables. And then there are some companies that are listed on the ASX that are just pure renewables focused. Nice. So yeah, I think, look, then there's a bunch of international ones. There's heaps, similar dynamic that are either just pure renewables focused or there's some where they're transitioning. So is Tesla a renewables play or a car manufacturing yeah, play? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they they acquired what was it? Solar City. Solar City, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they do obviously they have the Tesla batteries which are energy focused. I haven't done the work on them to know how much of their market cap is because of the car brand and how much of their market cap is worth is the other stuff. I imagine much more of it's the car. Look, I'll, I'll throw some names out there. I won't give any description just if people want to do their own research. So some big ones out of the States in terms of pure renewables focused. Next Era Energy, New York Stock Exchange ticker NEE, First Solar ticker FSLR, Brookfield Renewable Partners ticker BEP, Solar Edge Technologies ticker SEDG. There's a bunch of others. If you Google them, you'll be able to find them. I mean, look, this probably displays my personal bias, but I think there's no reason that you would limit yourself to just investing in Australia. If you're interested in this theme, this is a global theme. There are world-leading companies outside of Australia, and I wouldn't limit myself because they're not listed in Australia. The question with some of the names you've listed, Ren, is... Where in the maturity of the market are we to understand, like, who are the big players? Are we at a level in the market where there are some, like, really big hitters and it's not sort of like cannabis industry at the moment where there's a whole bunch of new entrants to the market and investing in one or the other is almost, you know, it's quite risky because you don't know who's leading? I wouldn't think about this in terms of a winner-takes-all market. I wouldn't think about this in terms of a, you know, like a tech business or a software business where they have strong network effects and so if they can start building a competitive advantage over other companies, then they will sort of dominate the market. I would think of this more as an infrastructure play. So there will be plenty of companies that make strong returns over a long period of time by owning productive generation assets yeah so there's it's not so much about finding the winners it's it's about finding companies that are in good regulatory environments that have good pipelines of production and a big thing in the energy market is having contracted yeah you want to be finding the transurbans of the renewable energy sector. yeah yeah because you know the two the two big risks that i that i spoke about the delays in connecting to the grid and negative wholesale prices in Australia, you will be able to find companies that are less exposed to those risks. You know, if they've got generation capacity that's already connected to the grid and they've got a lot of their offtake is contracted so they're not exposed to the wholesale market, that's going to be a safer option than companies that are just going to take what they can and are trying to work with the regulators to get connected. There's some uncertainty there and which is obviously translates into risk as i said australia is one market this transition is happening across the globe there's arguably more favorable regulatory environments in europe and other places so i think if you want to invest in renewables as a theme there's a couple of ways you can do it one is individual companies that we've spoken about i think if you're going to do that don't limit yourself to any one country do the work the other is you can look at ETFs that expose you to a hmm. broad range of participants in this transition because 
to sort of tie this back to what I was saying at the beginning, this transition is underway. This transition is going to happen. There's some technical limitations around how much can go to renewables now in terms of supplying baseload power and stuff like that. But we're seeing a transition and it's going to be massive. There'll be big winners and big losers. And hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. Yeah. Hopefully we can overcome the t- some of the headwinds that you spoke about, Ren, and really change that mix away from the 80%. It was, well, coal and gas. 80% today. Mix, yeah, 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 of yeah. today, yeah. Um, shift that a, a lot faster than what has occurred over the last sort of 20 years. Yeah. To speak personally, to close this out, I haven't invested in any energy generation. It's an industry that is so uncertain and I don't know enough about that I'm staying clear. Likewise, I I mean, just some of the stuff that you've been talking about over the last sort of 20 minutes just goes to show the, the complexity that come with it. And that's not even talking about the political side of things. So, you know, as an investor, it's uh, it can be a confusing space. But as we said right at the start, we'd been asked by a number of our members of our community to do a bit of a deep dive into the space. So as you work in this space, Ren, I think you did a stellar job. Thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> and look, just because, you know, we, we just said neither of us have invested in it. I think where it starts to become interesting is when it is a pure infrastructure play. To your mm. point before, before, when it's a transurban when it's a strong business where you can just calculate the yield that they're earning from their infrastructure and the life of that infrastructure and their pipeline of infrastructure, things become a lot easier. But when it's uncertain, you know, imagine if Transurban were trying to build roads, but we didn't know how governments were going to regulate roads. We didn't know if they were going to set the price of toll roads. We didn't know if they were going to underwrite another road that, you know, a few backbenchers were really pushing for. Like infrastructure is a long-term debt-heavy play and uncertainty is risk. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, Ren. Well, unless you've got any further comments... Nah, cut me off before I pick up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it there. If you would like a list of some of the stocks that we were talking about, we will endeavour to put them in the show notes. Otherwise, reach out to us, any social media forum, a channel, I should say. We also have a Facebook discussion group, Equitymates discussion group, which is uh, going off at the moment. So... Any questions, head there, or we do have a forum at uh, on our website, Ask Us Anything forum, where we can answer your questions. So we'll leave it there, Ren, unless you have anything to add. Uh, no, good <laughs> <laughs> Always good to chat stocks, and uh, we'll be back next week. Nice one. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. 